pray with me, please. Father, as we come to you tonight and we assemble again together, Lord, we praise you for who you are. Lord, we now begin this last book of your holy word, and there is a reason why it's last. Lord, may we tonight catch the excitement and the and the enthusiasm and the hope and the joy of knowing what is to come. Lord, may we realize, too, that the more sure we are of what is going to happen, how sure we are of your promises, the more it will help us today. So this book, even though it's prophetic about the days to come, really is good for us today because we know we are going to have the revelation, the revealing of Jesus in a way we maybe have never truly seen him before. To picture him in all of his glory. Jesus who died, but oh, how he is now glorified and he is the king of all kings. Father, we just know your spirit tonight will be there to take these words, these simple words on a page, and just bring them alive, bring the light, bring the hope to our hearts. Lord, we don't want to miss a thing. And we truly give you all the glory tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, here we go. He, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Yeah, it sure is. All right. In this study, the word revelation, it is reveal. Obviously, you can see it in the word revelation. We are going to have this, this book reveal our Savior in a way, maybe like I prayed, we've never seen him before. Another word is unveil. It's like this book is going to take a, it's like a curtain, and in this book will will take the curtain down and what we will see should almost give us that same kind of feeling that John saw. I mean, that, that you mean Jesus is really like this? If this is our Savior? Because let's just go back. I mean, what do we know? And this is important that we do know it because um, the reason this book is last is because well, I assume that when the book was put together, when the Bible was put together, and this was placed last, it was assumed that we would read the beginning first and would go from Genesis to Jude, and then we would get to know Jesus in a way. Well, he, he and, and we'll see it tonight, he always was, he is, and will always be. But where do we hear and see him the first time? And it's Genesis. You know, we, we are introduced to the Trinity. And we know that God, there's only one God. 
Now, this, is, this might be um, simple teaching, but I, yet it is very profound because um, the Trinity is complicated. To many people, when they think, well, don't you just have one God? Well, yes, we do. One God, one and only God. And yet, this God was willing to put himself into three different persons. Well, why would he do that? Why was that necessary? Why should we have one God, but yet he divides himself into three persons? And they're all equal. They all are God. It's just that they each have a different job in the best way we can really understand the trinity is to see the three persons in our own lives when you look at what the father has done for your salvation and what the son jesus has done for your salvation and then what the holy spirit is still doing for your salvation then you start realizing that God, the one supreme almighty God, was willing to divide himself into three persons for you and for me. Because the best way to describe the Trinity is God the Father came up with this plan to save people that did not deserve it. Human nature, human beings made their choice and the consequences were there and it could have been that simple and he could have just said, well, they made their bed, now they lie in it. Yet God the Father is the one that loved. He loved in a way I can't even put into words. And so then he went to God, the son, and said, this is my plan. And it's the only plan that will ever work. If these people, these sinful people who made their choice that don't deserve, who can do nothing physically to earn, if these people... Are, are going to be bought back in, into a relationship with, with us, <laughs> then this is what's got to happen. This is the only thing that is going to do it. And so, son, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to earth in the baby form. <laughs> And I want you to eventually, after 33 years, die on the cross. And I want your perfect blood to be shed. And that will be it. That will do it. That will work. People then will receive that sacrifice and receive that blood and that grace. Then... They can be brought back into a relationship with me. And then Philippians 2 is so clear. The son who is equal to the father, he could have said, well, you know, I don't think so. I mean, you came up with a plan. 
so why don't you do it? I mean, I, I almost feel blasphemous for saying it because, it, of course, it's not the way he would have worked. We know, Paul said, that he didn't even take his Godhead, his equal Godhead, something that he could claim his first response to his father with that request was, of course I will. So right there you think the father came up with the love and the plan. The son then was willing to fulfill and to accommodate and, and shed his blood, the only sacrifice that would be acceptable. And then you have the Holy Spirit because we know that God the Father remained in heaven. We know that Jesus went back to heaven. And yet, what do we know about the Holy Spirit? It's, it's, what, it's what Jesus said to his disciples when they got so concerned about, what do you mean you're leaving us? We can't possibly do it without you. Well, that's true. They couldn't. But then Jesus explained, he said, well, you know what? I'm sending all of you to the world, to different parts of the world. You need to bring, it is your responsibility to bring this gospel salvation story to the world. And I, I, I can't be with you. If I remain in this form, there's no way I can be with you. And you're right, you can't do it without me. So this is what's going to happen. I will fill you, I will instill within you my very self in the form of the Holy Spirit will live inside of you. This Holy Spirit, we know when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, when do we receive that filling of God's Holy Spirit? Um, the second we go to the cross, we are given that gift. We are filled with this Holy Spirit and and. There's the Trinity, all three persons doing what they need to do so that you and I can be brought back into the relationship that God intended to have with us. It is something that we, we see the Trinity in Genesis. We see how, how throughout the Old Testament, we see how the promise of Jesus coming to this earth is the whole Old Testament is all about Jesus, really, isn't it? But then we see in the book of Daniel, we see how we, well, Jesus would appear every now and then as the pre-incarnate Christ. He was in that, he was in the um, fiery furnace, remember? So the Trinity always was, always working, always doing what they needed to do for you and for me. We know how the prophets prophesied. We know how Isaiah meticulously talked and demonstrated and and gave us the description of the cross and the suffering. And that was hundreds of years before. So we know all this. We, we, we know that um, finally the angels said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. After, the, after Malachi, after 400 years of silence, all of a sudden the angels are in the sky and Jesus is born. 
We know these stories so well, and we're supposed to. And we've got this picture of Jesus in the manger. And then we've got this picture of him in the temple at 12 years old. And then it kind of goes silent for us, but then we see him at the wedding feast of Cana. And we see him, he, we see him ready for his earthly ministry. We hear the father say, this is my son who I am well pleased Listen to him. We see Jesus for three years do miracle after miracle and heal the sick, raise the dead. He's, he turned, he turned uh, little fish and loaves of bread into mounds of a buffet for 5,000. We know these stories and we're supposed to. We see him eventually, we see him eventually then walk that Via Del Rosa, and we watch him walk to the cross, and we, we, we visualize the, the nails in his hands and his feet, and, and we watch the, the cross suffering like, it's, that too is hard to put into words. We know that so well, and we're supposed to. And then we know the empty tomb, and, and that's so exciting because now he's in his glorified body, and oh, that, that's so glorious, and he's alive, and he appears to his disciples, and we know that. We go over that every year, but this time of year, and we're supposed to. And then we see him standing there on that mound of ascension, and he is saying to his disciples, now I want you to go. I want you to go into all the world, and I want you to get this story out there. And remember, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. He says that we know that, and we're supposed to. And that's pretty much what we know. And we have, we have we put ourselves into those teachings, his teachings through, his, through the Gospels, but as well through Paul and Peter. And so we've taken the scriptures and we've got to know Jesus. But this book is different. This book is the book that's for the believer. And how can you tell that you are ready for this book? Is because you can't get enough of knowing Jesus. And you want to know everything about him. And you have watched that desire. Especially the desire about how is this all going to pan out. We can see this unveiling with this revelation of Jesus, the one who died and who now glorified. He is now the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And, and John, who has known him so well, walked with him for, for three years, was at the cross, watched it all happen. But when he saw Jesus this time, oh, knocked him right down. Don't you want to know that, Jesus? 
This is the last book of the Bible for the believer because he says, I want you to know you are part of my kingdom. I want you to be able to get up every morning with that assurance of hope and joy and peace because it's all been settled. You are mine. I'll tell you, the people who are afraid of this book, Oh, I hear it all the time, don't you? Oh, I don't know. I, I think I just soon not do that. I don't understand it. It's creepy. Um, there's people growing horns in this thing, and, and, you know, I don't get it. And so it's just so much easier to just, let's just put it aside. The people who say, oh, I just want to know Jesus better. So I'll just end up thinking, oh. If you really want to know Jesus better, you can't miss this part. And it should be absolutely thrilling when you can see him in all of his glory, in all of his power. So it starts, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants Right there, it shows you that this book was not written for the unbeliever. They need to get to the point where they know that Jesus needs to be their Savior. And they need God so loved this world that he gave his son. They need to be brought back. They need to go, not brought back, they need to go to the cross this book is for the ones who have been to the cross and who understand the gift and understand the price that was paid. And along with the, this is probably the greatest assurance and reward that we could possibly have when we go into this last book. And God intended for us to live this life with this kind of hope, no matter what kind of world we're living in. So you can almost hear God say, you got to write this down, John. See, the people at that time needed this hope. They needed to have something to hold on to. They were, they were just being persecuted by the Romans. They didn't think there was any hope or alternative and God could see that. And he knew they needed to hear this. But we're living in the same kind of thing. We think we're living in hopelessness. And, and God says, would you open the Bible to the last book and let me show you how much hope you really do have? Let me unveil to you. So God gave this to John for us. See, his servants, the believer. about what must soon take place. And I circled the word must because people who want to run from it or put their heads in the sand or whatever and just want to avoid this for whatever excuse they might have, you want to just shake them and say, you got to realize that this must happen. So this is going to happen, and it will happen soon. And soon doesn't necessarily mean time. Maybe not just tonight or tomorrow. Soon, well, every day, it's a day closer. But when it comes, it's going to happen quickly. And so before that time happens, 
I want you ready and prepared, and I don't want you ignorant. I want you to know this. I want my children, I want the believer to just not know Genesis through Jude, not just the Gospels. I want you to know this. Because then when it happens, you are ready. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. He can give testimony. John will say so many times, I saw with my eyes, I, saw, I heard with my ears. That makes it reputable. That makes it believable. John knew. Why was John picked? You know, the rest of the apostles by this time were all martyred. John was the one that was left. He was put on the island of Patmos, and he was put on there for a reason. And so right here, we can tell that John was chosen for, and maybe because he was, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Oh, so then you mean John was his favorite. That's why he was picked, right? Because John was his, Jesus' favorite. Absolutely not. John is the one who said in his writings, I am the disciple. I am the beloved. I'm the disciple who he loves. It's not that he was a favorite. It was that John understood. John, John understood exactly what Jesus came to do, and that's why he wrote in 1 John 4, this is what love is. Not that we could love God first, but that God loved us first and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice. See, John understood. He, under, he got that definition of love and every one of us, I think, should look in the mirror and call ourselves by name. Linnell, she's the one he loves. I mean, you put your, put your own name in there, just like John. You're the beloved. Make it personal. That's why John was picked. And he's going to give testimony. He is reputable. He, you can believe him. Blessed is the one Blessed, and this is, this is the only book of the 66th that will give you an extra blessing, probably because it is unique and because it does require you to know Jesus. But he says, blessed are you if you are willing, if you are willing to read these words and and, if, and, and blessed you will be if you hear it. So if you, if you read it, if you are willing to read it, and then if you hear it, and then you take it to heart. Take it to heart. That means you just don't read it quick and say, well, I did it. No, you read it, and then you hear what it says with your spiritual ears, and then you are willing to take it to heart. You're willing to believe it and live your life by it. Blessed are you and a 
blessing from the Lord has nothing to do with anything of this world. Blessing that the Lord will give if we are willing to read this and hear it and take it to heart. He says, I will see to it that you will have this assurance. You will have hope instead of despair and hopelessness. When you live in all despair and all hopelessness, I will give you the blessing of living in hope and joy. What a way to live. I will make sure that you have a life that is not definitely, that's not problem-free, but I will give you a life. I will bless your life so much because you live in the fruit of what God's Spirit will produce in your life. That is a blessing. John, to the seven churches in the province of of Asia, we are now going to be greeted by the Trinity. Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Seven is a number you will see many times in this this book of Revelation, and you can know that whatever seven precedes something, it will be a perfect or completeness. Seven symbolizes a perfection, a completeness, and so when you see the seven spirits, that is the Holy Spirit, the perfected and the perfect spirit and the complete spirit. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So grace and peace. Grace, undeserved favor, and when you receive that grace, you will then experience this unexplainable peace. You'd never read peace and grace because that's not the order. You need to experience his grace. And then when you know and you can identify and you are secure in who you are in Christ Jesus and what the cross did for you, you will have this peace in the middle of whatever you're living in. Firstborn from the dead. Sometimes you have questions about the firstborn from the dead. Jesus wasn't the first one to rise from the dead. I mean, we know Lazarus. Jesus, um, he he wrote, Lazarus arose from the dead, and we know the widow's son was raised from the dead. And so we think, well, he's the firstborn from the dead. Yeah, he was the firstborn from the dead who would never have to die again. Lazarus, the widow's son, they all had to die again. But Jesus proved that when he came out of the grave, for the believer, we too will never have to die or so will never have to die. You've heard the phrase, when you're born twice, you only will die once. But if you are only born once, you will die twice. 
So Jesus, when he came out of the grave, showed us what's going to happen to us. That when we come out of the grave, we will never have to experience death again. To him, to him who loved us. Now, King James said loved other versions as loves, and it really doesn't matter which one. But when you see the, the loved, you know that he loved us by what? By going to the cross. He freed us from our sins by his blood. But he continues to love us every second of every day. See, Revelation 1 is like a, it's kind of like a, a prelude. It, it's like we have to read all of this before we could go on in this book, in this book, chapter 2, 3 through 22. This first chapter, he just, he just wants to bring everything back to what we need to see and who we are. It's like he brings us back to the cross. Like, don't forget this important part. This is where it all started. This is where your new life began. See, that gets you inspired and excited to then move on. He says, to him, to him who loved us and freed us. And he made us to be a kingdom. We're a part of his kingdom. We're a part of his family. And now what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be a priest, a servant. How many times haven't I said, you know, when you come to the cross, it's not about you anymore. It's about him. It's like that's the biggest change in our life that happens when we get saved, when we realize what the cross has done for us, when we're no longer lost but we're found. It's that our lives are not our own because we've been bought with a price. And it's supposed to be exactly what Paul said. The old is gone and now a whole new. We are not old, getting old stuff getting better. We are brand new. It's not me anymore. It's Christ that lives in me. It's his spirit that now is calling the shots, who now shows me my purpose and my reason for being here. This is what Revelation 1, he says, I just want to bring you back to square one. And the one who thought of that, who made it possible, was God, the Father. The God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Because if he hadn't done that, we would still be lost. And we would, we would be going to hell. There's just no other way to put it. And then... Just to make sure we know that even though sometimes we don't want to go there and we think, well, you know, I don't want to think about the end times. I don't want to think about Jesus' return. Um, I just want to live day to day here. And, and then out of sight, out of mind, it's kind of like in the days of Noah. They were just... 
they weren't giving God a thought. All, it was all about eating and drinking and making merry, and, and it was just so self-consumed. And I, I have to say that sounds familiar. Today, it seems like everywhere you turn, it's everybody's so self-consumed, and no one wants to be inconvenienced. And if you get in their way, I mean, we, we saw this. I know Florida's filled with old people, but, um, and we're, one, we're a couple of them now, you know. But, I mean, you can't even stay at a red light for a half a second without, I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, that's just so minor, but it's the way the, the mental state, it's the way attitudes are going. I think you can all say that that's true. And this is exactly why people don't want to study this book. But I know you're here tonight because you do. And this is where it gets exciting because then look how, look at the next words. Look or behold, whichever word you want to use. Get your attention. Behold, look, he is coming. You can deny it. You can, you can, you know, avoid it. You can pretend and you don't have to go there. But the fact remains, he is coming. He's coming with the clouds, and look at how, how all-inclusive. Every eye will see him. There is not one person in this whole world that's going to be able to say, oh, I missed that. I must have been busy. I must have, I must have been detained. I mean, that's crazy. When he comes in the clouds, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Even those who pierced him. So who are those people? Oh, well, it was the ones who, who actually took the mallet and put those nails in his feet and in his hands. It was, it was those who were saying, crucify him. Let Barabbas go. It's all those who hurt him by being disobedient who didn't want to listen to his commands, who thought that their way was better, who, who wanted to just, well, you know, this isn't the life I expected. And, and then there they sit. And then he goes on to say, so everyone who pierced him, everyone who pierced him, and that's pretty much, that, that is, that's every one of us. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn. All the peoples of the earth will mourn. And, and I, I know you think, no, no, no. That's not, that's not the way it works. Because um, Revelation 21 says that there will be no more mourning. There will be no more tears. Oh, no, I won't be mourning. Now, remember, this is Revelation 1. That's Revelation 21. And a whole lot's got to happen before then. And so right now, when he comes in the clouds, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all people, every one of us, are going to mourn. I am going to be a mess. I know that. Not just because I'm going to be so thrilled to see him, no, no, I'm going to be mourning. Mourning isn't tears of, you know, overwhelming glory. 
These are mourning tears because when I see him, I'm going to say, why did I do that? Why did I put myself first? Why did I think I knew better? Why did that concert? I was more concerned about the people and what they were thinking of me rather than the glory and praise that I gave to an almighty God. I think so many things are going to come in front of us or we're, we're going to mourn because why did I do that? So not only is it, why didn't I do what I know I should have? Why didn't I say something when I know it could have made a difference? We're also going to say, but why did I do when I shouldn't have? And that's going to happen. He said, that is just what is going to, all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. And then look how this little verse, how it ends. So shall it be. Amen. You cannot deny this verse. You cannot pretend it's not there. It is all inclusive. Every, all. He's coming. So shall it be. Verse 8. In, in my red letter edition, I, I just, I appreciate this because it just kind of stands out. And it's just like you can hear the power of the voice of Jesus saying, I am. That's his name, you know. I am. I am. And it's exactly why when Moses said, God, what do I tell Pharaoh if he says, where did you get all this authority? What do I tell him? And God said, you just tell him that I am sent you. Jesus, I am the light of the world. And I am the living water. And I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am and, you know, when you say those two words, you can't miss that it's just not only powerful, but it's not going to change. There's no way you can second guess. There's no way you can doubt. There's no maybe. I am. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is, and who is to come. The Almighty. Tell you, that should raise the hair on your arms. When those words come out in this first chapter, do not ever Doubt who I am. I am the beginning. I always was there. I always am there with you. And I always will be. I know it's hard for our human brains and minds to fathom. But by faith we accept there never was a time, even before time began, that there wasn't. God Almighty, the I am. And then I, John, I, John, your brother. See, another sign that this is definitely a book. This is a book for believers. 
because the unbeliever wouldn't understand this. Because they don't associate suffering and um, patient endurance as something that, well, they run from it. They, they think that's a sign of defeat. So the believer knows that it's the suffering that makes us who we are. And John then now brings us all, all believers together here. I, John, your brother and companion, we're in this together. Life stinks sometimes. Life is hard. And it, it is for everyone. It's like John is just kind of regrouping us all and saying, remember, it's just the way it is. Believers do not have like a rose-colored glass to look through. You cannot say, well, I'm accepting Jesus, and so now my life will just be just the way I want it. It'll be just, just easy and comfortable. No. He's making sure this chapter 1 is make sure we realize who we are and why we are who we are. He brings us to the cross. He gets us pumped up for this study by saying, you will be extra blessed. And this is what's going to happen. We were greeted by all three persons in this one chapter. I mean, it's just, there's just so much in this. You probably thought, oh, 19 little verses, we'll be out of here by seven. But if we don't intricate intricately, meticulously go through every word. Every single word is so critical for us to be able to continue in this book. It really brings us to seeing ourselves, And he says, we're companions in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. So, I mean, he, he really spells it out. I mean, we're going to suffer. We're going to, we have to patiently wait and endure. But it is, well, Sometimes misery enjoys company. And, and I think if we, if we know that we all have to go through this, it just kind of helps a little bit. And so John says that, come on, you know, we're, we're all, we're all going to get through it. But don't think this is euphoric and that you're going to be exempt. It, it isn't about happy and comfortable. And no, he says... The cross has costs, but it will be so worth it. And he's going he's gonna to kind of spell it out to us. But he says, I'm on the island of Patmos. And the reason I'm on the island of Patmos is because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I mean, you think, you know, he admits, he says, sometimes our suffering is for the cause of Christ. And you would think, you know, I mean, uh, how many times have you, when something goes wrong, you think, well, why, Lord? Why me? 
I mean, I'm trying to live my life for you. I mean, I'm trying to do the best I can to serve you. And, and this is what I get. Sometimes, you know, we have those questions. And, and he's trying to say it's just the way it is. And he says, I'm on the island of Patmos because I did the right thing. Serving the Lord is the right thing. But sometimes it causes it causes our lives to go in a direction that we didn't expect or we didn't want or it's not very comfortable and it certainly isn't making us happy. That's what John, he says, every once in a while you need to be reminded of that because we get disillusioned that we're, that we're supposed to have it easy. And he says, no. Because I was willing to serve, I am on the island of Patmos. And the island of Patmos, it was like the um, Alcatraz of the Roman Empire. It's where prisoners went. And so it was notorious for that. And then verse 10. So he set this setting. He's kind of included us all now. And he's saying, okay, now uh, I want you to know on the Lord's Day. Now, what does that mean, the Lord's Day? I mean, it, it could be Monday or it could be Thursday. It could be Saturday. The Lord's Day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. And see, it says, on the Lord's Day, I was in the Spirit. There's your there's the best phrase. When you're in the spirit, that means you're not into yourself. You're listening. You are tuned into God's spirit. And you and I can be so grateful that he was in the spirit at this time. Because you know what would have been so easy for John to, you know, he could have been in the little s spirit. He wouldn't have cared what day of the week it was. He wouldn't have even thought about being the Lord's day because his, his mind wouldn't have been there. You know why? Because all he would have been doing was sitting there thinking, you know, this, isn't, this really isn't fair, Lord. I gave you three years and then plus, and then I went in and went to all of these different places and I served you and I was the preacher of the Ephesus church and 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 you made me to love people and bring the gospel and I did everything you wanted me to do. And this is what I get for it. If John hadn't been in the spirit, this is how you and I can tell whether we're in the spirit capital S or we're in the spirit little s. Because it will, it determines so on our attitude and our disposition. And, and because he was in the spirit, when you're in the spirit, you are able to see and hear what you would never be able to hear and see when you were just in the little S spirit. But because he was willing to say, you know what? Even though this is hard labor, even though I'm old and it's cold and it's damp and I'm on this prison island and 
He knows there's a reason, there's a purpose, because God always has a reason or purpose. And he wasn't willing to give in to his own self-pity. He was, he was willing to surrender and say, apparently I'm here yet because you have got something for me to do. And oh, did he ever, oh, did God have something for John to do? But we could turn that right around to you and I. Are you in the spirit, capital S, or are you in the spirit, little s? And there's just no comparison. But because John was in the spirit, in the Holy Spirit working, he was listening and hearing and seeing what the Holy Spirit wanted to hear and see. He said, I heard behind me a loud voice. He wouldn't have heard that otherwise. If he was so caught up in himself, he was so just whining and sonicky about where he was and it's not fair and, and just wallowing in his disappointment and he wouldn't have heard that. And if he hadn't heard this voice, look what he missed. And I can't help but say, what do you and I miss when we sit there and wallow? Because it's not the way we wanted it. And we're so into this self-spirit. But because he heard, he heard this voice. And it was like a trumpet. It was, it was so distinguishable. There was no denying what he was hearing. This voice said so clearly, a, a trumpet, its pitch is so clear. And he heard, he didn't have to second guess, God, that was a little muffled. I don't know if I heard that right. No, he heard it clear. And the words came out like this. You write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. So what you are going to see, I want you to write it down. And he heard that so clear. And he was to send it to the seven churches. Now, we know that there were literally those seven churches from Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamum to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. There literally were those seven churches. But there's that number seven again. And these churches represent the church, which then represents who? The believer. And so these words are to us. And so my challenge to you next week when you go through those seven letters is find what church you belong to. Because it is definitely a lesson that you find yourself. And the reason why these letters had to go out is because there are warnings. There's, um, open up your eyes. Don't be ignorant. Um, these letters were to help those people see what they were doing before it's too late. See, this is the whole reason for, again, the revelation. The letters, this, this letter was written so that before the end comes, are you ready? Are you prepared? Well, you've got the time. Let's take a look at the heart. Let's take a look at what church you belong to. And you know, it has nothing to do with denomination or walls or anything. These seven churches, and I found out I, I, I was a member of a couple of them. But it helps you to see and to get it right before it's too late. And then verse 12, I turned 
I turned, he literally turned, because this is what we do. You hear somebody call you from behind, and you hear somebody talking to you from behind. I mean, it's just automatic. You turn to focus on who they are. You need to turn. We need to turn all the time from what turning from what self wants to do. You've got to choose to turn and focus on what he says instead of what you want. And John, because he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, he heard the clarity of the voice and he turned. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Boy, what a visual. Seven golden lampstands. And what do lampstands do? They give light. And among those lampstands stood someone like a son of man. And I think those words are put like that for a reason. Because John, who knew Jesus so well, wouldn't you love to have seen his face when he turned and he looked and he thought, oh my, that's Jesus. But it's like I have never seen him before. And his description of him. And here this this. this man like the son of man I mean it it was Jesus but and he knew it was but it was so extraordinarily different but he was standing among the lampstands and then he said he had this robe he had this robe he was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest and his head oh his head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow. I mean, his, his description, it started from his head. And he said, boy, there was something about that. That hair just stood out. And it reminded me that, yes, of course, Jesus is the ancient of days. He always was. He is and always will be. He's all wise. There's no one wiser. He's pure. as pure. Our sins have been washed away, and we are as white as snow. I mean, all of that, I think, was flooding into his mind when he just looked at this sight and, and all what it represented to him. Oh, that hair. And then, then he went down a little ways, and then he saw those blazing eyes. And oh, oh, I remember those blazing eyes. I'm sure that John thought, they're, they're going right through me. And we have to remember Jesus, his eyes, they're judgment eyes, and he can see right through it. Don't kid yourself. He sees what's in our mind. He sees what's in our heart. He knows what's really there. He knows what is really us. Those blazing eyes, we get away with nothing, and it gives you the shivers. And then he went on, and then he said his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And remember when we talked about, in Daniel, we talked about that, how the silversmith, you know, being refined by fire. And how the silversmith knew just how hot to get that fire, how long to keep the, the, the silver in there so that it wasn't ruined 
and how the Lord knows when he's refining us that he knows just how hot to get the fire, how long to make it last. And I believe all of this truth that John had learned from what, what he had learned from before. And so he's looking from the hair to the eyes and now to the feet. And he's reminded, oh, that's right, I've been refined by fire. And, and his voice was like the sound of rushing water. That voice, it was powerful. It was majestic. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. He's going to describe that later. But it's the, the visual. There, there stood that, like the Son of Man. And he was holding the seven stars in his right hand doesn't know quite what that is yet, but he sees it. And then, and then he says, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. See, it's one of those times where people say, now see, that's what I'm talking about. Out of his mouth comes his sword. That, that's, that's creepy. But see, we don't say creepy. We don't even visualize an actual sword coming out because we've been to Ephesians 6. We know. We have learned that the sword, when Paul described the, the full armor of God, one of the pieces of armor is our sword, which is the word of God. And, and when you see the double-edged sword... I read this week that a, that a double-edged sword, no matter whether you are holding it or whether you are putting it into someone else, you're, it's, it's, the edge is everywhere. So it's going to affect everyone. So the receiver and the one who is holding it. And that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God works in every one of us. Out of his mouth, his word affects every one of us. Every one of us needs his word, his truth. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. That must have been something too, right? To see his face shining like the sun in all its brilliance. Well, you put that all together. And John, even though he's been with Jesus all this time, you know, he didn't say, oh, hi, Jesus, how you doing? I mean, that's, that's just ridiculous to me to even say that. But, you know, after, you know, you'd think, well, you know, it's good to see you again. We've been separated for a while. It's good to see you. <laughs> that's why we need this Jesus unveiled to us. Because like John, look, when he saw, even though he knew him so well, when he saw him in his glorified self, and all of what he'd learned about Jesus came flooding in it, all of what was just described to us, it's all what we know about him, all put together in one. The one who is all wise, the one who can see through us and know everything about us, the one who will refine us because we need refining. The one who speaks with power and authority that we can trust and believe and obey who will lead us in the right direction. The one whose word is true. And his face shines like the sun. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. What a description 
he just, he fell at his feet. And what can a dead person say? Nothing. What can a, what can a dead person do? Nothing. I mean, where can you run? Nowhere. I mean, a dead person, speechless, motionless, you, you can't say, you just don't know what to do. And he, he fell at his feet. He was humbled to the very ground when he saw Jesus in his glorified self. In his majesty, in his fullness, he fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed, then he placed his hand his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And this is when I jumped off off my chair this week. I was so excited because, you know, no matter what or how many times you study something, I never saw this before because, you know what, I'd never studied Daniel before. And all of a sudden, I realized that in the last part of Daniel, when Daniel saw his last vision in Daniel 10, 11, and 12, remember, it was so overpowering to Daniel that he honestly said to, to God, I don't have any strength. I just don't have it anymore. And what did the pre-incarnate Christ do? He put his hand on Daniel's shoulder and said, do not be afraid. I will give you the strength. And I, I'm thinking, this is what Jesus does when we think we just don't have it anymore. We don't have what it takes. He reiterates, he brings back to us not only our strength, but he reminds us, you don't have to be afraid. I am. And he says that again, don't be afraid. Why? Because I am the first and the last. I am. I am the living one. I am the living one. And then it's like he says to John, oh, I am who you think I am. You bet I was once dead. I once was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. In other words, John, you will never have to see me on that cross again. I am the living one. And I will live forever and ever and then that sense, and I, just want you to know, John, write this down. I want everybody to know that I am the one who holds the keys of death in Hades. I hold the keys. Ooh, that is chilling. I just want to make sure you know, John, that I have the authority, I hold the keys, and it's up to whether people want to choose to believe in me or if they don't believe in me. I have the keys to heaven and hell, and it's what they choose to do with me where I open the door for them. Oh, you mean Jesus sends people to hell? No, he doesn't send them there. No, they send themselves there, but he's got the key that will open because that's what he said is going to happen to unbelievers. That is a chilling line. I hold the keys to where you spend eternity. Nineteen. Write, therefore. Write this down. Write this down. What you have seen. Boy, by this time, John has seen 
He has seen, and I think now he has been revitalized. The Lord put his hand on his shoulder and said, you know, don't be afraid. Just remember, I am the first and the last, and I am alive forever, John. I will never have to die again. The message has got to be, people know that it's only through me whether, whether they spend their eternity in heaven or hell. John, write this down. Write down what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So write this down what the, for now. You've got to write this down. And then you write the letters down and send them out. And this is for now to get them ready and prepared. And then, and then as the chapters go on, John, um, I'll have you write down what they can know is going to happen. They have to have their foundation secure first. They've got to know where they stand with me now before they go further. So write it, write it down, John. They have, to, they have to know what is now and what is going to happen later. The mystery of the seven stars. I so appreciate it when Jesus tells us when there's something symbolic and he'll say, and this is what this means. And, and, you know, you will notice that there's going to be one week that we do is from chapter 6 to 20. <laughs> and the reason why we put those all together is because he doesn't, he doesn't tell us exactly. And so when we go through the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bulls of wrath, we could sit here from 6.15 until 6.15 tomorrow morning and be no farther ahead. And so we just see the timeline, we see the, the progression of the judgment and how it's all going to work proportionately. We will, we will talk about that. But, but here he gives us a, sim, a symbol, but then he says what the symbol is. This is what we have to know because it pertains to us, getting us ready and prepared for what's coming said, the seven golden lampstands, he says, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this, the seven golden stars, the seven stars are the angels, the angels, because you will see next week that every church, the angel of the church, to the angel of the church, that means to the leader, to the, to the people in charge. That's where it really gets beautiful, doesn't it? Because now you see, to me, that just says it's all of us. It's the believer. It's, he's saying, because what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to get this message out. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to make sure people know. Where does he hold leadership? Where does he hold the believer? And that's in his right hand. And then, of course, he said, and the seven churches and the seven lamps. And, and he says, of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So let me read that so it comes out better. The seven stars are the angels, the leadership, the, the believers of the, of the church. The ones who are giving out the message. The ones who are serving. The ones who want to make sure everybody knows the, the, the message of the letter. 
But isn't that what Jesus said? And I want you to go and I want to make sure you tell people. And remember, he holds, he holds us in his right hand. He gives us what it takes to do that with a with a, a zest and with a confidence. And he gives us a courage. And you know, when knowing that he's holding us in his right hand, I think it gives us that, a real zest, a real courage. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus stands in the middle of the church. Some churches, two of them, were doing were doing well. They didn't have to repent. They still needed instruction, but five of them, oh my word, did they need to repent. He's standing there in the middle of the church and he is saying, wake up before it's too late. Identify who you are and find yourself um, because you're not, you're not all doing fine. In fact, very few of you are. And before it all happens suddenly, before that happens, he says, this chapter one is make the most of this time. A lampstand. What is the church supposed to be? That's why it's such a great symbol. It's to give light to this dark world. And you're going to see where he says, if you don't do it, if you don't, if you're not a light in this dark world, I'm just going to, I'm just going to. Take out, take you out. And you're not doing me any good. So, you know, I just want to make sure that, that we know that when we do next week's lesson, that we are really intently not just seeing, oh, what did Smyrna do? What did Philadelphia do? You know, what did Laodicea do? No, this is the church, and we're the church, and he, this is a message to us, and he's saying wherever need, whatever needs to be checked, Whatever needs to be exposed, whatever's standing in the way between you and him in a right relationship, he's saying, let's get it right. Let's repent. This all has to get done before we start seeing what's going to happen. He's getting you and I ready. Heavenly Father, we thank you truthfully for these words and how we... We know that sometimes it's hard to hear. It feels like a real smack sometimes, but we know we need it. We want to have things corrected. We need, we need to have, have our hearts exposed. Sometimes we, we are getting so good at pretending, and we even have ourselves convinced that we're walking right with you. And Lord, help us to sing this song tonight as we end. Lord, help us to see that you are a great God. And what a wonderful way to end tonight by acknowledging who you are and what you want us to be in these days that aren't going to get better, but I pray we do. And that we become a bright lampstand for the Savior of the world who deserves all of our praise and all of our life. You are all glory. And so, Father, thank you for your part in our salvation. Jesus, thank you for your part 
in our salvation. And Holy Spirit, thank you for your part in our salvation and who continues to work out this salvation in us. Thank you for being willing to be left behind, Holy Spirit, so that we can live the abundant life that's right at our fingertips. We pray it all in our Savior's name. Amen.